Greetings, this is podcast number 38 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. We'll start off today by discussing two of the least known and ugliest episodes of Tom DeLay's sordid career. Next, I'll give my take on why undocumented immigrants have the right, the right to stay here. We'll also do some listener email. Let's get right into it. Tom DeLay may seem like old history by now, given our short attention spans. He's out of there and will hopefully soon be in jail. End of story, right? Not quite yet. There are two little reported episodes in DeLay's sordid career that are definitely worth telling you about because they illustrate in perfect fashion two of the ugliest aspects of right-winger behavior, subverting democracy to further their goals and oppressing the very least of these that the Lord these right-wing Christians claim to worship, Jesus Christ, commanded them to protect and help. My sources for this segment are a Molly Ivins column in the Boulder Daily Camera, a John Nichols piece in The Nation magazine, and the prepared text of a speech by Bill Moyers. All were reprinted on CommonDreams.org. First, Subverting Democracy. No, I'm not going to talk again about how right-wingers try to thwart democratic elections abroad, for example in Haiti, Bolivia, and Venezuela, when the results threaten to or do put in power those whom the right-wing dislikes. No. What I'm going to talk about is subverting democracy here at home. This may bring to mind something else we've previously discussed the racist redistricting in Texas Tom DeLay pushed through, which, Justice Department lawyers concluded, violated the Federal Voting Rights Act. What I'm going to talk about now is maybe even worse than that. It's literal physical intimidation in the United States, right-wing thuggery of the lynch mob variety, directed against the democratic voting process in our nation. This assault on all of us took place in 2000, shortly after the November elections. Remember that time? The Florida Supreme Court had ordered a recount of disputed ballots. This enraged Tom DeLay. He not so innocently mused, quote, I hope this misguided ruling will be vigorously challenged. Close quote. Delay went into action. His aides and others had Republican operatives flown into Miami. They descended upon the Stephen B. Clark Government Center. Why there? 
because a three-judge canvassing board inside was reviewing over 10,000 disputed ballots. That panel had barely gotten started and had already found 150 more votes for Al Gore. This wouldn't do. Why, this fair and democratic process, ascertaining the will of the voters, could turn the election over to Al Gore. That couldn't be allowed to happen. George Bush is supposed to win. So DeLay's mob of Washington aides and lobbyists, quote, swarmed into the government center, chased Democratic observers out of the building, and began banging on the doors of the area in which the recount of the key county's ballots had begun. Leading the rioters in chance of stop the count was Tom Pyle, a policy analyst in DeLay's office, close quote. Do you remember seeing this on TV? They played it like it was an uprising of alarmed Florida citizens. So what happened next? It took a team of sheriff's deputies to restore order. The canvassing board was so shaken that they not only felt compelled to ask for a police escort to return them to the counting room, but once there, they voted unanimously to stop the count. Quote, David Leahy, the supervisor of elections for the county, admitted that the riot weighed heavy on our minds as the decision to stop the recount was made. U.S. Representative Carrie Meeks, Democrat of Miami, was blunter. She said, quote, the canvassing board bowed under pressure, close quote. Pressure from Tom DeLay's goons. And this pressure meant that, quote, the additional votes for Gore that had already been discovered were discarded. Vote totals from Florida's most populous county reverted to pre-recount figures. While Jeb Bush and Katherine Harris and Antonin Scalia all played their parts, it was Tom DeLay who brought down the hammer that stopped the recount process at its most critical point. Close quote. Score! Right-winger violent intimidation one, democracy zero. Let's go on to the actions by Tom DeLay that belie any claim by him to be following the teachings of Jesus. This has to do with DeLay's evil doing in the Northern Marianas Islands. These islands are a U.S. territory, but they are exempt from U.S. minimum wage and other labor protection laws. What's the result? The islands have become, quote, a sort of labor gulag with workers imported from China and elsewhere. And the workers are, quote, forced to live behind barbed wire in squalid shacks without plumbing while working 12 hours a day, often seven days a week, with none of the legal protections U.S. workers are guaranteed, close quote. In 2000, the Senate unanimously passed a bill to extend the protection of minimum wage and other U.S. laws 
to the Northern Marianas. Oh no, we can't have any of these least of these benefited. Call in the phony Christian, Tom DeLay. And that's just what Jack Abramoff did. Yes, Jack Abramoff. The Northern Marianas were his client, and Abramoff asked his good friend Tom DeLay to intervene. Now, DeLay already had an extensive record of helping Abramoff with the Northern Marianas. In just two earlier years, quote, Abramoff billed the Marianas for 187 contacts with DeLay's office, including 16 meetings with DeLay. In December 1997, DeLay, his wife, and their daughter went on an Abramoff-arranged jaunt to the Marianas. They played golf and went snorkeling not far from the sweatshops. Close quote. So back to the year 2000. Abramoff sends the SOS. No minimum wage or other protections for these workers can be allowed. DeLay killed the bill. He did Abramoff's bidding. The Northern Marianas, despite the unanimous vote of the Senate, would continue to be exempt from U.S. minimum wage laws and other protections for workers. Was DeLay ashamed of this? Of course not. In fact, it's quite the contrary. He's proud of what he did. He thinks the sweatshop, no labor rights system in the Northern Marianas is just dandy. Listen to what he said. He described the Northern Marianas to the Washington Post as, quote, a perfect petri dish of capitalism, close quote. He told Abramoff's clients in the Northern Marianas that, quote, you are a shining light for what is happening to the Republican Party, and you represent everything that is good about what we are trying to do in America and leading the world in the free market system, close quote. In America! Ah, yet another confirmation that, as I always say, the right-wingers have ill designs on the average American worker. To top it all off, DeLay actually felt he was doing the work of God, exhorting Abramoff's clients, quote, Stand firm, resist evil, remember that all truth and blessings emanate from our Creator, close quote. I guess truth and blessings from Tom DeLay's creator include denying minimum wage and other protections to defenseless immigrant workers. As Molly Ivins concludes, quote, This is why DeLay's professions of Christianity make me sick. He chose to walk with the powerful and do real harm to the very people Jesus mandated we especially care for, close quote. In other words, DeLay acted like a true right-winger. Subvert democracy and increase human misery. The apparent callings of our right-wing brethren. 
And now a word from another progressive podcaster. Best of the left podcast.com. Well, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. Now, you recall, before George W. Bush came along, the last national leader to claim that preemptive attacks were appropriate was Adolf Hitler when he attacked Poland in 1930. I think it was 39. It takes a lot of degeneration before a country falls into dictatorship. But we should avoid these ends by avoiding these beginnings. That's the type of legacy that historians will say has been left by America's newest, worst president. What word comes to mind when you, when you hear the phrase President Bush? The three words were incompetent, idiot, and liar. Best of the Left Podcast. Real radio, real liberal. Condensed into neat, commute-sized chunks. Only at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Few things lately have gotten me more annoyed, or more accurately disgusted, than to hear right-wingers like Sean Hannity continually bleeding about undocumented immigrants. They didn't respect our sovereignty. They didn't follow our laws. We can't reward people who broke the law. So this segment is addressed to two groups. One is right-wingers like Ann Coulter who call for deporting all 12 million undocumented immigrants. I'd build a wall. In fact, I'd hire illegal immigrants to build the wall um, and, and throw out the illegals who are here. You would throw I, them out. I can't even... You would throw them yeah. out. Yeah. So... Yes. Uh, Actually, we could have done it very easily in the last week since they organized themselves into groups. Um, you could have just sent paddy wagons to the protests. And moreover, it's actually very easy to catch them. I mean, these people are living amongst us. Um, they have to apply for jobs. They show up in hospitals. They show up in schools. Did you hear her sadistic little laugh? You would throw them yeah. out. So, yes. The, the following is also addressed to those, and there are many, who begrudgingly say, as if they were being so magnanimous, oh, they're here. It's too much trouble to deport them. Let them stay. I maintain that undocumented immigrants have the right to stay and probably the right to citizenship as well. Let me start off by discussing three legal concepts that are quite instructive. I'll be quoting from various online legal dictionaries. The first two concepts are quite simple. De jure means according to law. De facto means actual, being in effect although not formally recognized, not legally or officially established. The third concept takes a bit of explaining. It's called equitable estoppel. Before offering the definition, I'll give an example of equitable estoppel. Quote, if a landlord agrees to allow a tenant to pay the rent 10 days late for six months, it would be unfair to allow the landlord to bring a court action in the fourth month to evict the tenant for being a week late with the rent. The landlord would be stopped from asserting his right to evict the tenant for late payment of rent. Close quote. 
So a definition of equitable estoppel would be a doctrine that, quote, bars a person from adopting a position that contradicts his or her past statements or actions when that contradictory stance would be unfair to another person who relied on the original position, close quote. The past statements or actions can include silence and taking no action. Do you see where I'm going here? The U.S. de jure immigration policy forbids entry and work here without formal permission and official documentation. The U.S. de facto immigration policy has for decades allowed entry and work here without formal permission and official documentation. The concept of equitable estoppel bars our government from now adopting a position that contradicts the de facto immigration policy because that contradictory stance would be unfair to the undocumented immigrants who relied on the de facto policy. I'm not saying that the doctrine of equitable estoppel is enforceable in a court of law on behalf of undocumented immigrants. I am saying that the doctrine of equitable estoppel is applicable by analogy. In other words, the same elementary principles of human fairness and decency that underlay this doctrine, the reason this legal doctrine arose in the first place, these elementary principles of human fairness and decency are applicable to our everyday lives and therefore to our dealings with undocumented immigrants. Simply put, you don't lead a person down a path and then pull the rug out from under them. Let's flesh this out a bit. Our de facto immigration policy was Hey, we know we have these immigration laws on the books, but, wink wink, no problemo. We'd like you to come here and work. You're cordially invited to do so. We're leaving it real easy for you to sneak into the country, and if you accept our invitation, there will be jobs for you, and employers won't check very hard to see if you have legitimate papers. In fact, if you work hard and keep your nose clean, we won't come looking for you at all. You know what? Why don't you sneak your family in as well, or start a family here? And send your kids to school. That's okay by us. Millions of impoverished Latin Americans took us up on our offer relied on our de facto immigration policy to start a life here. Was this not what we asked them to do by both our words and deeds in some respects on some occasions and our silence and lack of action on others? Was it not eminently reasonable for these dirt floor poor economic refugees from Latin America to rely on our de facto invitation. So how 
consistent with elementary principles of human fairness and decency, could we now suddenly turn around and say, after decades of behavior to the contrary, as some right-wingers like Ann Coulter would like us to, hey, you're here illegally. How dare you show such a lack of respect to our sovereignty? How dare you so brazenly break our laws? We must deport you. Do you see the disconnect? See the unfairness? You don't let someone establish a life and then after you've squeezed every last drop of cheap labor out of them, change the rules of the game. You don't exploit people and then throw them away as if they're so much garbage. Unless you're certain right-wingers. Maybe now, even some of the less rabid variety of right-wingers can better understand the massive protests by the Hispanic community, where one of the most common themes was they want to be treated with respect. Talk of deportation, or even of criminalization of their presence here, shows a profound lack of respect to these human beings. These protesters are saying to us, Hey, you made a deal with us, and we relied on that. Please have respect for us and honor the deal you have made. You cannot change the rules in the middle of the game. Undocumented immigrants have the right to remain here and become an above-ground legal part of our community. Justice requires it. Indeed, Given the prior amnesty and citizenship granting in the 1980s, it would not be a stretch to say that these present-day undocumented immigrants can reasonably expect to have the right to be put on a path to citizenship. We owe them that. And, could we be really honest about this, we owe them so much more. Countless Americans have lived far more comfortable lives than they otherwise would have because of these undocumented immigrants. I quote from Barbara Ehrenreich's book Nickel and Dimed on not getting by in America. Quote, When someone works for less than she can live on, when, for example, she goes hungry so that you can eat more cheaply and conveniently, then she has made a great sacrifice for you. She has made you a gift of some part of her abilities, her health, and her life. The working poor, as they are approvingly termed, are in fact the major philanthropists of our society. They neglect their own children so that the children of others will be cared for. They live in substandard housing so that other homes will be shiny and perfect. They endure privation 
so that inflation will be low and stock prices high. To be a member of the working poor is to be an anonymous donor, a nameless benefactor to everyone else. Close quote. So we owe these major philanthropists, these anonymous donors, these nameless benefactors, we owe them our gratitude, we owe them our profound respect, and we owe them permanent residence and a path to citizenship. We had a bundle in the treasury drawer, more than there had ever been before. But every day we're drowning deeper in debt. Maybe four years should be all you get. Then you gave tax breaks to the millionaires. And you tried to make the working man pay. But you can't tax. Here are excerpts from two emails I recently received from abroad with a common theme. Quote I am living in Japan and I podcast this to give me some insight into what is going on in America. I am a British guy, and a lot of what you say is astonishing, but I do not doubt its truthfulness. In the second email, Nathan wrote in about the demonstrations taking place in France against the new labor law, the CPE. Quote, I'm an American living in France for one year. My friends are fairly conservative and were for the CPE and against all the demonstrations that were being done. However, in spite of the fact that they were conservative on issues like social programs, taxes, medical care, etc., they agreed with me because these sorts of things are almost taken for granted in France. Now for the thing that really shocked me. Everyone here I know hates Bush and is against the war in Iraq. However, when I told them that Bush had pushed through multiple tax cuts that benefit the rich and not the poor, they didn't believe me. They didn't think he could get away with something so outrageous because he would be stopped by other branches of government. I hope you find this interesting. Close quote. Non-Americans even conservatives in France find it hard to believe, even astonishing, what the Bushian right wing is doing here. The level of greed, the intensity of the economic plundering of America by the right, is hard to believe, isn't it? Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you liked what you heard, Please tell all your friends about Blast the Right. There's an easy one-click send this page to a friend link on my podcast homepage. Thanks to all of you who voted for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. If you haven't yet voted this month, there's a one-click link on my homepage for you to vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. I'd really appreciate it. Music credits. We heard bits of Not the One Blues by Burnsheet Thornside, Taking My Country Back by Honky Tonkers for Truth, and we'll close with a bit of Catapult the Propaganda by Nye's Music. 
Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page, which is linked to off the main podcast homepage. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use on Blast the Right can be found on my data resources page, which is also linked to off the main podcast homepage. Keep those emails coming in. I love to hear from all of you. My address is rational at adelphia.net. You can call in and leave a comment for me to play on the podcast. Dial up 310-933-5891 and record your comment. If you're on Skype, you can reach me at Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. In my line of work, you got to keep repeating things over and over and over again to kind of catapult the propaganda. Catapult the propaganda. Catapult the propaganda. Weapons Inspector Charles Dolphers now issued a comprehensive report that confirms the earlier conclusion of David Kay that Iraq did not have the weapons that our intelligence believed were there. Um, it turned out that we have not found any stockpiles. I think it's unlikely that we will find any stockpiles. I don't know anybody in any government or any intelligence agency who suggested that the Iraqis had uh, nuclear weapons. That's, that's fact number one. What has not stood the test of time was the judgment we made that there were stockpiles of chemical